You are listening to Underscore, a podcast of music and story. Welcome back to Underscore, the show that explores the rich tradition of movie music one film at a time. I am Marty Brueggemann, and with me as always is my brother Will. We are right in the midst of our month dedicated to John Williams' score to E.T., the extraterrestrial, not only one of our all-time favorite film scores and probably one of the most important film scores, but again, just one of our personal favorite films. Absolutely. And just a forewarning for anyone listening, looks like Will and I might be in the middle of a thunderstorm. So if you hear any uh, thunder crashes or heavy rain, that's what's going on. But hopefully we will remain safe and sound. Uh, Last week, we examined the flying theme, which we could rightly call the movie's anthem, or expanding a bit further, part of an anthemic pair along with the call motif. And at first glance, these may also seem to be the most recognizable pieces of music from the score. But E.T. contains an incredible family of material, which we're eager to pour over today. We also mentioned last week that each theme in our anthem pair began by expressing an ascending perfect fifth. This ascending fifth interval is at the foundation of William's score here. In fact, it's almost head-spinning just how unique each of these perfect fifth-related themes are. It's honestly not something we really appreciated until preparing for these episodes. And really, there's something appropriate and beautiful about a fifth-centered score for this particular film. Uh, That interval is really the first true harmony that exists in nature. If we look at the harmonic series, we have an octave, and then our first distinct pitch is the fifth. And perhaps here, it's a shared starting point for communication for two creatures from these different ends of the universe. Well, today, keeping with underscore tradition, we're going to be examining all of the additional themes from E.T. one by one, trying to dissect a little bit of what makes them so musically potent and why they're so effective in this film. Beyond the call and the flying theme, the motif we hear most often in the film represents the lurking danger, uh, these federal agents in the shadows unseen. And today we'll call their theme the danger motif. or not, this ominous music opens with the same interval as our previous themes, an ascending perfect fifth. But there's a lot that makes this motif distinct. Yeah, its rhythm emphasizes these march-like triplets, but it's uniquely syncopated. In many ways, the rhythm is surprising and counterintuitive, but it results in a concise 11-note idea. (laughs) 
Harmonically, it outlines two triads, both of them minor. Uh, we've mentioned third relations in the past, and these two triads are related by a third. They are a major third apart from each other. It's that same distinctly evil sound heard in the Imperial March or in Jerry Goldsmith's theme to Basic Instinct or many great Bernard Herrmann themes. Yeah, it seems to have become the shorthand for evil. God, yeah, absolutely, in Hollywood music. Uh, and here, the direction of the melody is sort of mesmerizing. All of its leaps, up and down, all happen on these strongly syncopated beats, like right. we indicated earlier. I think that's a really good point. I sort of have a fond memory of, again, talking about that behind-the-scenes footage, of right. seeing John Williams play this on the piano for the first time for Steven Spielberg. And it's so fun because not only is Steven really just appreciating hearing these themes, but he's kind of trying to learn them and memorize right. and them. He's so singing he's singing along. along. And what's so tough, though, is sometimes great John Williams themes are very angular and tricky to right. sing. And this is one of those examples. Dun, 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 dun. Stephen was just such a champ and singing right along with all these themes. It's just a lovely moment. Yeah, like you say, both the pitches and the rhythm of the melody are kind of counterintuitive compared to, say, a popular song or something. Yeah, you could almost say that there is some sort of metaphorical meaning to how counterintuitive those are mm. because it is meant to evoke kind of the villains of the movie. What I like here is it's it's really like a childlike view of evil or danger, a la Peter and the Wolf or something. Exactly. Uh, and like much of this music, it keeps us in the mind and heart of Elliot and his brother and sister. Yeah, completely. And it's something that the movie is actually very strict about, of seeing everything from the perspective of those children as literally how the shots are oriented. Right. Emotionally, everything seems to be centered from these principal characters. Another theme we hear throughout the film, often when E.T. and Elliot are alone, uh, both in life and seemingly in death, the friendship theme, and it's really one of the most beautiful in the entire score. As different from our previous material as this is, our friendship theme also begins with an ascending perfect fifth. <laughs> but here, it's not the relationship of a tonic pitch to a dominant pitch, one to five, but actually from the major third to the major seventh. It's still the interval of a fifth, but diatonically it happens at a different place within our overall major scale. And it's what gives this theme such a distinctly different feel emotionally, because from that first sequence of notes, we're already kind of describing with the melody this major seventh harmony. Right. It's really beautiful how Williams colors what we've described as this primal universal harmony, the perfect fifth found in our harmonic series, and how here he sets it in this harmonically rich way, like you said, Will, this major seventhy sort of context mm -hmm. that expresses so much sadness and really intelligence and depth. 
And this is how Spielberg depicts childhood in this movie. These are fully fledged, fully feeling human beings. And this theme seems to express the joy and pain that really only children know. Rhythmically, this friendship theme contrasts these long-held notes against nimbly moving 16th note and triplet turns. Uh, We talked about turns last week. Uh, You could say that's another motivic element that returns in this theme. Like the call, it strongly emphasizes the Lydian mode, once again, that raised fourth scale degree. It's a remarkable setting for Lydian, a mode which we've previously described as capturing both childhood and otherworldliness there may (laughs) never be as fitting an occasion for lydian than (laughs) et absolutely and further emphasizing the childhood perspective as well as the privacy that usually accompanies this music uh, it's typically set in very gentle very quiet instruments harp and celeste Part of that might have to do with the specific scenes in which it's been spotted, but I do think the nature of those instruments, the fact that they're percussive, you know, with the harp plucking the string and the celeste, we do have an innocent affectation or association to those timbres, but I do think they actually affected the nature of the composition. You know, you have those kind of trills that feel like they were just ergonomically designed to be idiomatic for the harp you know right and yeah i think for a lot of beginning composers for the harp uh i'll include myself in that group i don't think many of us would feel at liberty to write trills for for the harp sure it's Um, something i notice in a lot of john williams harp writing particularly so much confidence yeah he wrote that that concert piece for that famous harpist yeah, on Willows and Birches, beautiful piece. And I remember that uses a lot of kind of trill-type motion, very similar to right. this. And I think that that piece, Fluffy Fluffy's and his harp, harp yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's such a such a wonderful point. And, and really, the majority of the appearances of this theme in the score uh, are set in those instruments. I also do think that B section theme that's sort of descending and feels almost like sighing or running water again very idiomatic for those instruments i I, it's hard to know chicken and the egg which came first whether it was the idea and then he had the brilliant um inspiration to set it in those instruments or if he almost had the instrumentation in his mind first and wrote the music out of that we'll never know yeah we'll never know until we get the opportunity to ask mr williams Well, what's our next theme, Marty? The next idea we'll listen to is actually a very brief motif. Perhaps you could even call it a device. Uh, And it tends to accompany the kids on their bicycles when swept up in some kind of mystery. Today, let's call this the mystery motif. As Shakespeare said, brevity is the soul of wit, and this motif is incredibly concise, effective, and memorable. Yeah, again, it's a wonderful childhood perspective, almost like the Wicked Witch on her (laughs) broomstick. Totally. Something that I really like about this particular motif 
is how within the score we hear it in many different presentations in terms of what parts of the interval are inverted or how they modulate. The version that we've actually notated for our underscore supplement, the additional themes bonus feature that we have on our website, underscorepodcast.com, if you're interested in checking it out, <laughs> is actually a version that goes like, yep, um, just because I, I yeah, think which to, to us, us it sort of felt like a complete musical yeah, idea. Yeah, it's almost like the prototypical idea, but it's almost never how it's used in the score. And really, there is no definitive statement of this theme. It really is, like Marty says, this device. And in terms of pitch, this motif expresses a very clear idea. And we swear we're not making this up, but it is, again, the ascending and later descending perfect fifth. Yeah, this is what we mean about being caught by surprise by the perfect fifth connection in the score. This mystery motif doesn't likely remind you of the flying theme or the call or the friendship theme or any of those other themes. Even though some of the melodies we're looking at today are very brief, there's a remarkable clarity and unmistakable identity in each of them. It's kind of amazing when you think about it, because I imagine, you know, most of us, are not necessarily consciously aware of this similarity between the melodies, but because they have that similarity, it helps them all to feel like they belong within not only just the same film, but the same sound world. I think that's so true. And really here, the unique handling of that shared idea, the perfect fifth, is part of what makes the artistic expression in the score so exceptional. Well, now we're going to move on to personally my favorite theme in <laughs> E.T. the so Extraterrestrial. Now, this is a theme that is often paired with the mystery device that we just mentioned. But in our opinion, this theme is absolutely central to the film. If you've seen E.T. even once, uh, I really don't think you'll be able to help yourself in being transported back into the world of the movie uh, when you listen to what we're calling the searching theme. What can we really add here? It's beautiful, unique, uh, and somehow its melody is both surprising and comforting and expected. Yeah, it's almost like this perfect music of the cosmos. It's very primal and seems to reflect, you could say, some sort of sacred geometry just in right. all of these even rhythms. And it's such an evocative and beautiful melody. As I mentioned, it's sort of a long line legato melody. And it emphasizes the major seventh interval as well as that Lydian fourth. Our initial eight-note idea, you know, twists and turns through the surprising harmonic changes. It's just so beautiful. And there's wonderful bass movement that's actually really critical to how this piece of music works, often placing the third of the chord in the bass. Right. And it really, in some ways, adds to the dizzying effect of these surprising harmonic changes, um, but in other ways, it creates a sort of smoother voice leading 
between some of these um, sort of distantly related chords. Yeah, and again, because this is so related to that mystery motif, which is so based around triplets and often happening when we have children on bikes and everything, this is another piece that often features some quite prominent triplet subdivision. And what I think is brilliant about the way the melody is composed, oftentimes when we do have that triplet subdivision, we hear the melody as the top note in a series of arpeggios. And what I think is really lovely about that is when that presentation occurs, you can perceive maybe the top note as the melody, or you can perceive each individual pitch in the arpeggio as the melody. It's, it's, right. it's really something so special, and I can't think of many pieces of music that are able to function so brilliantly with that kind of duality. So true. And when Williams does use that sort of a triplet figure like you described, as we could expect, uh, it's certainly not triplets by rote. Right. Um, really, each of them outline very unique uh, sort of passing chords mm -hmm. within the harmony, really just filled with so much richness when it's in that presentation. It's not unlike what we talked about last week with contrasting kind of a lyrical sweeping theme with some sort of motor, whether they're eighth notes or triplets or some sort of subdivision. The juxtaposition of those two concepts is kind of a primal aspect of writing for the orchestra, I think. Right. I think that would have to be sort of a general lesson, maybe in orchestration 101, which is like we're contrasting uh, timbres and we're also contrasting units of rhythm. Yeah, it's like personality, two different personalities, one thing that's more mechanical and one thing that maybe is more human. In our searching theme, we have these exciting leaps in the melody and these uh, rising major sevenths at times. But while there might be a little bit more decoration and it's maybe not as apparent, it still does prominently feature these ascending perfect fifths. You know, again, I have another incredible memory of just that Steven Spielberg footage of seeing oh, him singing, singing like, this. Ba, da, da, ba, ba, ba. and then oh, in that beautiful. documentary, it cuts to him saying, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. Because I, I think preceding that clip, John Williams is describing it in a very humble way. Right, right He's of like, course. I was pleased to say he, en he enjoyed, enjoyed it. it. Something, <laughs> yeah. yeah, something else. <laughs> I, loved I loved it. I couldn't it. wait for the scoring session. Oh, man. And really, again here, there's, I think, such a depth given to this childhood perspective. In many ways, it's reminding me of sort of Elmer Bernstein's approach to To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, Marty, you were joking earlier that the elevator pitch for E.T. could be To Kill a Mockingbird mixed with War of the Worlds. <laughs> right. Yeah, we were joking that you kind of think of those uh, that, you know, oh, it's a this meets this. You know, it's like it's a die. It's die hard, like on a boat or whatever. Right. Like You think of that as being like a 90s sort of thing. But mm -hmm. that would maybe be a fun game. Oh, gosh, that's a board game waiting to happen. Yeah. What's interesting in this film, Boo Radley is kind of like that main scientist guy. Yeah, the Peter Coyote yeah. character. Anyways, we digress. <laughs> On to more themes. Yeah, there are certainly a few other themes in the film we'd like to single out. There are actually these two uh, religioso ideas that reappear throughout the film. The first we'll be calling Earth, as it seems to relate to E.T. finding himself on this strange planet.
What I think is effective about this theme, again, just that it's a very broad melody, that it does leave space for some other motifs. It's really the kind of statement that exists to have other musical material function around it. Right, and yeah, I don't expect that this would be a theme that people are necessarily humming or whistling, Mm -hmm. um, but it's one of those great Williams ideas that's almost a chordal Yeah, and he's such a thematic, motivic writer. And that doesn't just mean all of the singable tunes or melodies that we might hum in the shower, but it's just the nature of how he composes a score. Yes, we will find those instances where he's saved up a piece of music to just use in a singular instance, but I think he would probably articulate that part of the art of writing film music is having this web of interconnected motives that we associate with characters places or ideas in finding ways that fit the film ways to return to these ideas because they do have an emotional association to them we do have some sort of attachment to the characters and events that are happening on the screen absolutely and i think it goes again to the clear unmistakable identity of each of these themes and i think the great film composers are masters not only at say uh brevity or appeal in a theme but really unmistakable identity so that when you do call on these other themes, like you said, Will, you have a wonderful network or web of material to draw from. They're not only bringing, say, a character association, but a really distinct musical flavor. And that's absolutely what happens whenever this Earth theme appears. It's also what happens whenever we hear our other sort of religioso cue. It's very much in a similar vein This piece of music seems to depict the awe and grandeur of an alien visitor. Uh, It also seems to depict uh, the mortality of E.T. Today we'll refer to this as the awe motif. To me, as we were sort of dissecting these themes, preparing for today's episode, uh, I couldn't help but be reminded of some music from the Indiana Jones series, right. uh, particularly the theme for the Ark of the Covenant that we discussed in our Raiders month, and also some of the music in, in the Last, Last Crusade. Crusade. Yeah, some of that very religioso music in that film is well. I like to think of that as almost a paintbrush or a palette that Williams has had to return to in certain situations throughout his career. But yeah, I think this is an incredibly effective leitmotif for this score. And it does communicate all those things you were saying, Marty, about the awe and the grandeur of this alien visitor. And there is this mortality to it. I think many people do have religious associations with mortality, whether it's going to, you know, a funeral in a church or just someone, you know, thinking about their place in the universe cosmically towards the end of their life. It's something that we're confronted with quite literally in this film with E.T. being this extraterrestrial visitor and hopefully not to spoil anything or give anything away, but also someone who's confronted with mortality and death.
Well, changing course a little, there's another thing we want to touch on, this lovely, whimsical musical idea that appears a few times in the film, accompanying some of E.T.'s ingenuity and perhaps mischief. (laughs) We're going to call this E.T.'s antics. This is an incredibly effective device. You know, like some of the greatest film themes, it's incredibly simple and very direct. Uh, But that ascending line, uh, particularly that articulation, this sort of breathing, sort of limping because it's a little, the articulation makes it uneven. It's mischievous and it's almost like this sort of hyper Lydian sound where we keep getting another whole tone step. It's just getting sharper and sharper and sharper. I think there's something almost shrill about it, almost like you're cringing if you think about some of E.T.'s antics with spilling the milk and how it's connected to E.T. and the frog in class and everything. There is this like, oh, what's going to happen next feel to it. And I think that maybe is part of the reason why John composed it in that way. Right. I think it's wonderful to spend even a little bit of time on a piece of music like this. I think we're all moved to really uh, celebrate some of William's really rich lyrical writing But I think this is an idea when you first encounter it in the score, you might not necessarily identify it as something that'll be a recurring motif. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's so effective in the scenes that it's in. And those scenes actually would probably not sustain something with much more detail than what's here. I also like that it seems to unite almost a, a childlike approach to music. I could imagine a child at the piano plucking out this theme. It kind of unites that with the Lydian character here, rather than emphasizing anything sort of alien, uh, it's actually emphasizing the sort of quirky, goofier side of the moment. Completely. The next theme we'd like to explore is perhaps one of the most moving in the entire score. Far from a brief jingle or blast, this lyrical theme pushes into deeper and deeper realms of emotion. This is Goodbye. Hopefully that didn't cause any of you to start weeping, uh, because if if you are, you are you are in good hands and you are not alone. Because we have both shed many a tear uh, over this theme. It is so incredible, and as we'll hear more next week about how it's used in the film, as you can guess by the title "Goodbye," this is a piece of music that is really saved for a particularly special moment in the film and it's just such a beautifully composed line i mean just again we talk about a lot of the music in et you know this fifth interval but i noticed that we're also talking a lot about upward motion in a melody and i think that's actually less common with bernard herman we talked all the time about downward motion but in et melodies are ascending up and up with large interval leaps or with that last kind of et's antics motive this creeping upward 
forward stepwise. But with a piece like this, it's just about pulling at the heartstrings. And you almost hear these octave violins. The higher that they go, the sound becomes thinner and thinner. It almost feels like your heartstrings being pulled so they're just as tense right. as possible. It's so incredibly beautiful the specificity of his writing how he alters certain pitches within the line um i really think this is one of his most uh, masterful melodies i could not agree more and if you have a moment to say sit by a a piano or a keyboard with uh, our supplemental material and just play through this phrase it's not a mechanical or rote transformation of this opening gesture. Uh, sure. It's really so meaningful, mm-hmm. note to note. And I love what you said about the up and up. And actually, uh, in John Williams' comments that opened our episode last week, he talked about that flying theme is moving up and up. And you're right. Uh, when we talk about not only Bernard Herrmann, but in so much Western harmony, the tendency is so often down. And in this case, I like thinking of the up and up as really the sort of hard work and labor and love that John is putting into this score. (laughs) Because in some ways it's going against the grain. It's requiring great energy and great care to move in that direction. it's reminiscent of some of my favorite moments in Tchaikovsky, say like at the close of the Pas de Deux in the the Nutcracker, where he explores a similar sort of really pushing into the the depths of your sort of emotional tipping point. It's an unforgettable cue in the film, and it is something so singular. We debated uh, featuring it on today's episode because it isn't necessarily a reoccurring light motif, but it's such a distinct and memorable melody and such an important part of the emotional weight of the score. We had to include it so that we could actually talk about it musically, and I'm really glad we did because it just wouldn't be E.T. without this goodbye theme. I think what this helps to underscore, along with uh, many of the other themes we've already listened to, is that in this film, drama is drama, whether it's young or old. Listening to this piece of music, I don't think of any kind of division whatsoever, just the connected human emotional experience. Well, we've listened to so many beautiful pieces today, but our final theme is indispensable to the score of E.T. This is the triumph theme. Without getting into the narrative of the film, which we'll dive deeper into next week, there's a finality to this music captured, fittingly enough, by our opening gesture. An inversion of our ascending fifth, here the descending perfect fourth. Our flying theme was C up to G, and here we have it inverted, C down to G. I don't know if there's another piece of music in a film that quite does this for me, but it's a queer change of direction, isn't it? Sure. Obviously, there's a literal music theory change of direction, but I do think you experience that emotionally with this piece of music. 
And really, there are very pure pitches and rhythms here, uh, but those are contrasted in brief moments by surprising sudden 16th note rhythms and surprising harmony. Here it's our major triad built on the flattened sixth degree. We've called out that harmonic move uh, mm -hmm. in the past, and actually that appeared in the B section of our flying theme. And I think we indicated last week that it kind of sets the stage for another piece of music. This is that moment. Yeah, completely. There's also something nice about how it starts with that descending down to the fifth. Really, so much music is built on these tonic to dominant relationships. And it's because the dominant, that interval, that chord, in a sense, in music, really wants to push back to the tonic. So by leaping down, you're almost guaranteeing this potential energy. It's this thing that I notice in a lot of Williams' music where if he wants to get up higher and higher and higher, he almost feels like he has to go in the opposite direction first. It's kind of like in the movie Cars right. where you have to turn right to turn left. Like I feel like this melody is a That's bit of a, a personification melody. of that idea where you have to go, yeah, ba, you know, it's like this springboard. And even right. how the rhythms of the tune are truncated in that moment, it's almost like pulling back the slingshot and then releasing it. Well, we mentioned how Orchestration 101 would have to cover the sort of general concept of contrast mm -hmm. in the orchestra. And strong melodic writing is also about balance and contrast. And that same phenomenon happens, I think, well, in the flying theme. You're right. And we're setting the stage for our greatest leap, this giant octave mm -hmm. leap in the very next phrase. Completely. Yeah. In any other film, this would be the main theme, front and center. <laughs> Absolutely. But if we've learned anything today, it's that John Williams' score to E.T. has a wealth to offer. Offer. Both a wealth of material and a wealth of human musical expression. Well, we hope that you have enjoyed today's episode discussing some of the additional themes to E.T., the extraterrestrial. It's just been a blast for us researching and really digging in deep into this incredibly rich score. As we said before, it is one of our favorites, and it's one that we turn back to time and time again for influence as composers, for inspiration. It's just something to study. I think it really is one of those transcendent pieces of art uh, in cinema, in terms of the music, the acting, screenwriting, editing, all of it. Uh, E.T. to me is, I don't know, just one of the all-time classic films. And I couldn't be more excited once again for our next two weeks on Underscore. It really is a classic. But for me, something that I love about E.T., the film and the score, it for some reason doesn't leave me with the feeling, oh, I wish they made movies like this again. I just cherish it. And I'm yeah. so glad that it exists. Yeah, because it's almost like making, The Wizard of Oz. Right. Making a movie like E.T., it still isn't E.T. Because they, right. they have tried to do that. Quite <laughs> frankly, um, there have been films and, you know, in the case of Stranger Things, television shows that have done it quite well and tried to recapture some of that Spielbergian 80s energy. 
Uh, you know, I've mixed feelings about Super 8, but I think so much of what worked about that film was that idea of, you know, these children on this adventure and the time period and everything. Right. But there's something about E.T. There's like a simplicity in the story. It's almost like Beauty and the Beast. It's almost like right. Steven Spielberg discovered this idea that should be this ancient myth that should be something so primal to storytelling but just hasn't existed before it really is so singular when we spoke with conrad pope he described john's gift in a really interesting way he talked about him having a remarkable taste for diatonic melody and then coloring that with the most surprising lush harmony and i think et as a movie and as a score has that concept writ large like you say well it's a very simple idea at its core but it's imbued with so much depth and genuine relatable human emotion well we hope you'll join us next week for our spotting session where we'll go through every single cue in the film and talk about how some of these themes are used within the context of the overall movie and talk about some more details about those arrangements, orchestration, and really John's narrative instincts. It's going to be so much fun. We really can't wait. In some ways, I don't know that we want this month to ever end. If you're at all enjoying the show, please feel free to rate or leave a review at Apple Podcasts. That does help new listeners discover the show. We should also mention that Underscore is also available on Stitcher. As we mentioned last week, we recently started an account on Patreon, so if you are feeling so inspired, we would be eternally grateful um, if you were willing to become one of our lovely patrons who really make this show possible. And if you're unable to contribute at this time, we just want to say we appreciate you listening. You can find every episode of our show as well as some of the neat supplementary materials that we've been talking about on our website, underscorepodcast.com. You can send any of your questions, thoughts, or suggestions for the show to the underscore show at gmail.com. Underscore is produced by Will and myself and made possible thanks to our Patreon producers, including Carlos, Jackie, Alex Death, Desmond Clark, Jordan Kulosinski, and Travis Anderson. You can follow us on all manner of social media, Facebook, YouTube, and as always, you can follow us on Twitter at underscore underscore show. The second underscore is silent. Until next time, everybody. And remember, we listen because we love. Take care.